I'm Dean Newland, and welcome to the Business of Intuition, where I coach, facilitate, train, and speak on the hard science and meaningful experience of intuitive leadership in business, so you can make better decisions, forge real connections, and creatively solve problems to amplify your impact and simplify your life. Welcome to the Business of Intuition. So I'm really pleased to invite Scott Gonzalez to the Business of Intuition podcast. I've known Scott since 2005 when he and his wife and family knocked on my door in Peoria, Arizona, when we were renting a house or he was renting a house and, and we became fast friends and told me about this studio he wanted to start called Kempo Karate. And we started that in a gymnasium. Scott had a lot of background and he was an expert teacher and was starting this new business. And so my son Taylor and I were one of his first students and it just really became a big part of our lives and certainly my life ever since then. Scott, I just am so pleased to have you on this. Just a quick background, as I understand you're a seventh degree black belt. Scott now travels all over the world giving seminars on Kempo Karate. We've also used you and would love to use you more within corporate environments. If I could just ask you kind of a question to get us rolling here on this topic of intuition and sort of following that inner knowing. Is there a story you might be able to tell us about a time when you had a gut feeling on something and you had the courage to follow it that later you looked back and you thought, man, I'm glad I did that because it really put my life in a positive direction. Thank you, Mr. Miller. That's a very kind introduction to there have been quite a few. I refer to them kind of as defining moments where I relied heavily on my intuition and just took the plunge and went with it. Probably the first one, one of the most important ones was being asked to go on a move up to Milwaukee as a native of Tucson, Arizona. Wasn't doing much for the world at the time. Getting my feet wet with college world. I was asked to move up there for training. My buddy was training up there. He had just graduated from college. And I was rather upset. I didn't want to move, resist the move. And that was the logic part. The intuitive part inside my heart said, move, take this jump. And I knew I was going. And that one really has changed the course of my life. I would have grown up much different, I think, I would have stayed in Tucson. That brought me out to the north, brought me from there out to California. And I was, we stayed there for a year training. I was ready to come home again. I'm like, all right, I'm going back home. And again, he asked me, I want to move to California. And I was serious again. I wanted to go home. Logic said go home, finish college there. Instead, I followed the intuition and ended up in California. Many things have happened since that California trip. I did finish my degree finally there. I also got into the art of American Kempo Karate and have built quite a future with it. It's really blessed my life. So those are couple of, one long story, but layers into a lot of aspects of that. No, that's great. I think everybody has a similar story and whether they would call it intuition or not, probably doesn't matter. I'm kind of curious because I want to tie this back to your work with the studio and with your students. Mm -hmm. I guess my observation of you and one of the things I find that you're so good at is within karate, as one would expect, there's a lot of structure. There's dozens and dozens of techniques and katas that one can learn. And what you run into is dozens of students who are literally coming into your studio every day with different skills, different backgrounds. Some of them are having a good day and a bad day. And they step onto your mat and then you take charge and you just do an absolutely brilliant job of facilitating a group of people who all come in with different energies and backgrounds and understandings and worries and concerns. My question, I guess, around that is, is there a process that kind of gets you ready to lead that class? And what does that look like for you? And how do you get yourself sort of in the mindset to be in a state of flow to be able to address all of the different energies that you have to address? Interesting question. I know. It comes down to those two words there, huh? Or three. The one that's readily coming on mind is I sit in that flow all the time. 
except when I turn it off. I'll need to rest because there's so much energy expenditure. But I'm in that flow all the time. I wake up in the morning with that. I plan ahead or I think ahead. But when students come in there, I'm constantly assessing them. I'm assessing how they walk in there. And this is one of the things I think really heightens intuition. I, I think part of the intuition comes from that heightened sense of awareness. And the more we use our bodies, our eyes, ears, senses, conversation, the more readily we can access that intuition. Whether or not we hear that trust, it'd be different. For myself, I, I've noticed, uh, especially over this last decade and a half of training in Temple and working with so many people, is seeing how their eyes are, how do they carry themselves, how do they walk, is it a confidence, are they missing a confidence out there? building comfort in them. If they're quiet, how do you tease that volume out there? And much of that comes from the experience with the bee. The intuitive side, I hear the voice and I listen to it quite often, where to kind of direct that attention to their needs, to lift them out and tease out some of the best that we can humanity-wise on the bats. You know, whether it be physical, mental, spiritual even. As you know, the studio has become a place of healing too. So oftentimes I'll see that, you know, my intuition will go, they don't need so much the structure, they need more of the healing. But I think that, again, comes from the observation, the way the cat's for eyes working with so many humans. This last series of years, I've really been working more using my body, closing the eyes, and starting to use the feel, the sense of the understanding around me to wrap myself around what people need, what they're doing, how to interact with them, both in class, outside of class, in public even. I'm fascinated by something you said earlier in this answer was that you wake up and you are usually or always in a state of flow, which caught my attention because I think that most people would say, I'm hardly ever in a state of flow. I'm seeking a state of flow. And if I hear you correctly, what you're saying is I'm mostly in the state of flow. It might be broken up once in a while by getting out of it, but that's kind of how you live. Is that accurate? Yeah. If we look at the structure of my days, I just came off of teaching. And for those who are listening, this is going <laughs> to open your jaws a little bit. But we have two concurrent classes I teach of 10-year-olds. We have 60 to 70 10-year-olds in a room for an hour. And I do that this week. I'll be doing it for five days straight, back-to-back classes. So this week alone, I'll have, or just today, I've worked with 140 students approximately, all 10-year-olds. If I'm not in the flop, I'm not able to move and kind of ride that wave of emotions and energies and intellects and emerging personalities, I would be in great trouble. So my mornings, although a little quieter, it's slowly, it's kind of like walking into water. Like a tranquil mm. water. Sometimes it's a little bit more fun, but it's like a tranquil water. You're just getting used to your, your what's it like today. And each day that flows subtly different. There's always these currents in it throughout the day. Different people will come in your lives, different things will come up, but it just kind of sits with that flow and it awakens and really resonates during large portions of my day. The morning, the classes from 3.30 up till 8.30 at night, that flow is constant. It's a, and it, I'd say that the intuitive part is the presence. You're there in the moment. I'm not thinking ahead. I'm not thinking behind. I'm just there in the moment. That really allows you to pay attention to the detail of that moment of what's transpiring. Not going home to worry. You know, those are the times the flow starts subsiding at the end of the day. You know, that's what you worry. Where's the bills? What's all that other stuff? But when I'm going from that morning through the 8 o'clock evening time, it is. I do sit in that flow. I was sitting in that four or five hours straight and then slowly emerge from it on the far side. Wow. You just said a lot there. Something you said that I wanted to highlight was that the process of being really in the moment gives you awareness to the detail is what I think I heard you say. Again, I've watched you lead a class. And for those who don't know Scott, you know, you're in the presence of a master at what he does when you're in his presence, because he is what he's saying. He is this person who is so present and commands the room so well. What it seems to do, at least for me, and I think it's true for other people, that helps the rest of us get to that state of flow because he's modeling it. And so that's one of your gifts. And I think that's something that anybody, whether they're in business or not, can take from how important it is to get into that state that you seem to do naturally because you become so much more effective. But it was being able to see the detail because you're in that flow that I wanted to pull out because I've noticed you 
being able to get to a, literally a comment about a person's strike or a kick that is almost down to the millimeter. Move the knuckle this way or point your toe that way. And you see that sometimes even from across the room. And I'm going like, how the heck does he see that? How can he pick up on that? Yet you get to that detail. And I think it's just sort of accentuating what you just said around it happens because you've created that space of being so present. You see so much. Is it fair enough? I would say yes, it, it does. Uh, larger groups like when I'm teaching in England next month, I'm going to have 70 black belts. The first time I did it, I knew two of them. Uh, getting to know now tendencies, again, that's a, the in-the-moment observations. I know who's going to be in certain positions out there. I'll know who they want certain enlightenment going through there, different tools I have. Those are from being in the moment and seeing it. I'm able to carry that flow even a year later. And I'll be able to immerse myself in those waters over there and have a new population plus the old population, but know how to integrate those intuitively, how to feed best off things, what things I know would work intuitively and enhance things. I do that with classes too. Thank you for that comment about saying that. It does. I think when in the flow, I don't consciously do it. It's just because I'm in that immediacy, my eyes and developing as well to pick up those things, to understand detail. I guess if you were conscious of it, you yeah. would be out of the flow. Yeah, if I get stuck in something, you're going to be, yeah, you're in the, the mechanical stage, not understanding all the little nuance. That little toe shift's going to move your hip. That's going to release breathing. It's going to show an injury, a greater depth on a tool. A lot of things are going just that one movement out there. But I think with time and using the intuition more and the sense of awareness, those skill sets really combine. And I can see that working in your business world too. You master leaders, you know, CEOs that just are breathtaking can do the same thing there. They see that with a company, the little nuances, the employees, how far down they see, I don't know. I think it's important that, you know, if I'm seeing a toe, that's almost like the bottom rung of your company. That's just as important though, that toe impacts those around. Yeah. Trash not taken out is somebody sitting in the smell of that trash. So if you got all these classes and I've seen you do this, the question is, if you're in this intuitive state of flow, as you call it, at the end of the day, are you exhausted or are you energized? It depends, to be honest. You expend an enormous amount of energy. My job's a little different because I got to be in front of volumes of people, projecting voice, projecting personality, teasing energy from people. So I'll find like some days I'm absolutely spent. I need to rest usually because the bulb burns so bright. The flow, it's uh, if you swim in the ocean, it's beautiful. It's uplifting. And when you come out of that water, you want to lay on the sand and you just want to recharge to rejuvenate it's not that you left the flow it's like you're just recharging to be able to go back in that water again that's one of the i guess mentally and visually that's kind of the way i see it so i have to recharge i gotta recharge a couple times a day when i come home at night yeah it takes a little while sometimes i'm absolutely wiped other times though the flow is so bright the energy is so bright and the intuition things have happened that it's almost in its opposite effect <laughs> you just want to you want to stay in that water longer i want more yeah. from it so yeah and it's uh, it's tough to teach out of there so but if it's a, a normal day like today i'm gonna have some really beautiful things happen we work with a lot of new children out there this morning i've got a certification we're going to use intuition goes in big time with us knowing your students knowing things out there about how to tease out the best why are they being quiet today is it because they don't have confidence are they shy is it nerves that they had a long school day all that overall awareness is really important that it be easy of it and then leaving them with a great feel tonight will be one of those nights i think i'll sleep really really deep <laughs> uh, others, other things uh, like I'll do a lady seminar I got one coming up this Sunday I've got 39 college ladies their first year in college going out and the mothers are giving them a gift of a self-defense clinic working with this athletic crew of how to give them confidence how to bring their awareness up you know there's a lot of intuition that goes on there there's just some that have grown up their whole life don't look nothing will happen to you or I can take care of anything <laughs> and the world has its own reality so that'll be a lot of intuitive flow moving back and forth who to work with how to tease different things out there how to leave them with a sense of awareness and yet with it generating fear and then giving them a tool that they could use you know if something does happen 
Yeah, you're really creating an experience for them, which yes. and I think that's one of the things that we really connect on is similarly, I try to create experiences in a different way, but I think people learn best that way. Well, people sometimes, I know you know my wife, Joanne, but she'll say to me, God, you just facilitated three days of training. You probably worked with 60 or 70 different individuals. You've had coaching calls throughout the day, and then you're on a plane, you're coming home. How are you able to still stand? And to your comment, most of the time I feel very charged up by it. It may take yes. a time for me to recalibrate my energy, but I remember this last trip I came back and I was just still buzzing. And, and, I, could, and I even called it out. I said, I know that I'm probably coming off fairly intense right now, but I'm still swimming in the ocean as you would use your yeah. It feels really good. But on the other side of it, I wanted to ask you, there was an experience that I've had in working with healthcare that sometimes I go through behind the scenes to meet up with a doc somewhere and I'm passing patients. And sometimes the patients are in very tough shape, end of life or going through chemo. And you look quickly into these people's eyes and you sense the fear, you sense the concern. And at the end of the day, some of those situations, I feel pretty depleted because that energy and that intuition, that empathy, I somehow picked up on some of that energy that they had. And I wonder if you experience that sometimes. If you've got somebody who comes onto the mat who's just having a tough time, how do you protect yourself from taking on that negative energy so that it doesn't begin to dim your light bulb, as you would say? Yeah. Just the image you gave me of walking down the hallway and seeing people in need going through different stages of health challenged a lot of things are tied in with that. I haven't gone through that with my wife. I have a real understanding of that. When they look and they see there's a certain draw that they want from that power or the magnet. You want to draw, not a magnet, but a battery. You want to draw some of that energy just to restore just a little bit of what you're going through. And that's what I think we feel intuitively, that draw coming off of us. When I have that in class, literally has to focus and concentrate on not letting that happen. I've gotten better at it. Used to be days where I just sit and reside in me. I'm like, why do I have this energy? I'm not understanding at the time. I don't think it's an easy one to fix. I think it's one that happens the course of time that's consciously worked on. And I've had to do that. I'm like, okay, this isn't my energy. This is actually coming off of an individual or, you know, it could even be a group setting out there. And then where am I at with it? You know, really self-assessing again. And that's again where the intuition goes. Is it me? Is it them? And you can be blinded by that, I think, because it, one can be stronger than the other. Now you're feeling that energy and it's strong. You know, it might be a blind, your sense of intuition going through there, blind who you are for a little bit. I've gotten definitely much better at that over the years. This year, even being my best. So if you look at incrementally, I've grown to get through that faster. I still mm -hmm. do go through it. I think it's the case of being human, of caring. Yeah. One of the things we have to do intuitively, you and I are in those positions, we've got to open ourselves up. We've got to be approachable. You've got to be inviting. You've got to open up the uh, protective doorways that many people can keep closed and protect it. We can't because of the nature of our professions. So we're going to gravitate or be drawn. It's a uh, converse, the people that are in need. Yeah. I hear that business people are in this very situation a lot. And they don't yeah. necessarily call it out the way you just did. They know that there's a negative person on their team or somebody who comes to a meeting and they're always in a funk. And they wonder why now they feel depleted as a result of that interaction. And I think that in some ways, we don't always know that that energy is affecting us or it can affect us if we aren't at least aware of that possibility. What I've heard some say, you know, this is... A kind of a more of a mental process that, you know, my wife, Joanne, you know very well, and she's quite yeah. adept at this, but she says, you know, surround yeah. yourself with light, you know, surround yourself with a kind of like an egg of light so that you still can be empathetic to another individual and be intuitive to their situation. But there is a boundary that doesn't allow that energy that they may have, which could be quite negative to take you down. I'm still learning how to do that. I'm getting better at it. I'm wondering whether any sort of visualization for you sometimes helps, or is it more just the awareness of your difference of energies that you are paying more attention to? Hmm, that's a good question. I'm not so sure I actually can understand. If you're saying that, I'd almost say the nature of my profession is a bit of my shield. 
Mm. Like if I turn on, and I've had in instances, I had a dad get fired up with me. And being disrespectful, and those that know me know I'm extremely polite. I engage, I want a warm friendship with family at my studio, wherever I am. If I go to a restaurant, I'm warm and friendly to everybody. Not because I have to, but because it's who I am. Yeah. I had a father being a bit chippy and snobby with me. And as you talk about the shield, I could have been fired up and all those. But I turned on the black belt shield and sat right next to him. And then we had a dialogue from a black belt rather than a facilitator of a room mm. about the appropriateness of his language and the way he's addressing me. Having that dark beam, I guess, to protect the kindness is a nice part for myself. So I don't generally run across those things because when I turn that on there, people get the message really quick. And I don't physically do it. It's more the tone, yeah. the command that a certain black belt will carry and energy, if you would say. And he felt that the dialogue changed. I could turn that thing off. And we were good after that. So we've never had a challenge since. So <laughs> that's just one situation that came up there. I, I do think that does protect a little bit for myself. With others, I, I would think, like as Joanna talked about, and Casey, I know my wife does the same thing. And Casey does some white light if we travel to protect and you know, protect boundaries in case things like that. I don't yeah. personally think of that. It just, that's being in the water again, being in that flow, being in the ocean, it just is around me. Yeah, I've never thought of it that way, Scott. I think you hit it. Your profession being in karate, in a sense, deals with this duality all the time. Acceptance and guidance and being present at the same time as having boundaries. And the boundaries get pushed. There is defense and there is strikes and there's movements and there's footwork that would help create that boundary for others' energy coming toward you. Yeah, it can be reestablished that boundary really quick or the boundary can be moved or I can move my boundary. And there's something you said, I wonder if you could speak to this a little bit because of this boundary thing. You know, you talked about another individual that you've been studying with and you're bringing out to your studio in November. And I remember we were working on basically some energy work and it was different than anything you'd done up to that point that concentrated. And so if I could just summarize it in a very poor way, but it was about sort of letting the other person's energy strikes, hits, punches, sort of move through, you move past you, you'd absorb it. And then you said something that I still to this day remember, I said, don't be in the fight. Let the energy pass through you, but don't be in the fight. And there was something very profound about that. And I wonder if you could sort of paint a better picture than what I just did because I think there's something metaphoric that others could use. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, I do. Yeah, I, I do. thought you did. A, take a moment. It's a, yep. it's a rather deep question out there. <laughs> if you're in a fight, you're choosing to accept you're in a fight. They can be in a fight. You don't have to be. They can swing. They can hit. And having an ability, I think a lot of that's having an ability to move with a person on the physical scale, metaphorically doing the same thing there. If it's a, you know, a verbal altercation, being able to slide, being able to move, but not absorbing their energy, letting it roll through and pass it out. Regifting that or allowing your body to meld around things, your mind to meld around things, but not take its form, just allow it to go through our aspects of that. That was one thing he said to me too. It's like, we're not here to fight. I don't want to fight. <laughs> I want to continue having my beer. It's, uh, <laughs> Even work of that, we work with blade work on there, uh, sticks, two-on-one, arms trapped, three-on-one. It was a, quite an interesting thing, but when you're in that mindset and you're no longer in the fight, you relax everything. And intuitively, you start finding spots to break down structure and find your way through this mess. For myself, if I restricted breathing, if I found tension somewhere, I was trying to resist, it was easy to find me again. But when I stayed in this realm of flow, this calmness, it was ridiculously hard to get a hold of me, to pin me down, to even chase or know where things were coming from. And I think that can work for what you're doing right now, too, looking at the business world and those things out there. Staying with the same relax. You know, there's going to be boundaries out there. To say you're relaxed does not say that you're without structure. Mm. That's an important component of it. So we're not talking jello, but your ability to move fluidly with structure is kind of that piece out there. I'm not sure if that's what we're no, looking at. Uh, no, exactly. That's kind of the way they, okay, yeah. that's kind of how the answer came out with that. So, no, yeah, it's a, it's a great answer. Yeah, yeah, we could talk it. Yeah, when I was younger, yeah, fight. Okay, 
<laughs> and looking back now, you know, and all the stuff being able to counsel my younger self, I don't know if I could have teased that out. But now knowing it, I'm like, it does change the complexion of things. It keeps your emotions calm. It keeps the intuition calm. But that's a constant practice. And I, I do those drills more and more with my classes now to keep that relaxation going through it. And I see it. I was even just this morning, I was watching students do a small little drill, holding the breath all the way through it. And then how do I teach them how to find this place of relaxation or breathing? I think so that's, they can function. I think yeah. that's perfect. Yeah. I, what I take from that and bring it into business situations is that we can still hold people accountable. We can still provide them crucial feedback. It's not about being a jello, as you just said. It's just not taking on that energy, which then just creates more of the same. I think that's how I see it in kind of the yeah. business world. You know, it's like if you have done this in training, sometimes it's, you know, you ask a person, you know, to lift their hand up. And so I said, okay, hold up your right hand and I'll go up and I will push my right hand against their right hand. And immediately without them thinking about it, they push back. And I said, I didn't ask you to push back. I just said to leave, put your hand up. <laughs> and they go, oh my God, I just, I just realized that I got in the fight with you in a sense. I was causing resistance against your resistance. So there's no reason that you needed to do that. Why didn't you just let it go or even move the direction of your hand and let it slip past you? Because we're so pre-programmed to meet conflict with conflict which then just yeah, creates just more said conflict. The words right there. Yeah. Yes. Escalate. Somebody's going to escalate and somebody's going to win that confrontation. And it doesn't, or I don't think it's conducive to a, a healthy environment. Either work, home, family. Yeah. Society would see that constantly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but if you're not in a fight, okay, you have this. I'm hearing what you're saying. This is what I need you to do. You know, being able to meld, mold. We're still working within the structure of that. So yes. they never, those guys never find the conflict. In fact, it was an interesting point he had shared with me. I think the gentleman we're talking about is Martin Wheeler. Uh, yes. And he says, let them think they're winning. It was a strategy he was talking about. And I'm like, I didn't get it. And he's stuffed me in a headlock. And, uh, you know, I was fighting. We do all the tempo and there's a certain rigidity that goes with it. I worked my way through somewhat. And then I did it with him. And I was laying on the ground. But I never felt... I lost my headlock, which was weird. He goes, I was letting you feel like you won. So he did three or four different ways of doing it, where I always felt like I had control. I was the conflict guy. I was the one generating this. And yet, <laughs> at the end of each thing, he had a smile on his face and I was laying on the ground. I'm like, that wasn't painful the way I was on the ground. I was just on the ground. And I still had my arms in the same position of that headlock. Same conflict. I wanted to carry with it. I wanted to win that. And he never let me know that I didn't lose that contact. I, I, my intent was still there and I, I had what I wanted. But in the end, he was actually the victor because he was sitting there and I was on the ground. And it was uh, kind of interesting. I, I layer that within our practice now as uh, the redirection of weapons, punches, things like that for your audiences who might be listening. If you're looking for the intent of your knuckles making contact with something, let them sit there and redirect it. So it's still seeking that. I want that feedback. I want the conflict of my knuckles hitting flesh. And in reality, you've already moved past it. You're doing something else on the back of them. They don't even know they haven't finished that process yet. But again, that, that would be coming from the practice, the focused perfection of practice to get to that relaxation, to get to that intuitive part of knowing what to do. That's great. It's like you have to unlearn a lot of things to be able to get oh, to that. Yes. It's just amazing. I, yeah. I'm fascinated by how language informs behavior and attitude. And I, and on this topic around not being in the fight and this fluidity that you're describing, I think about how we have campaigns around the war against drugs, the war against cancer, the war against this. And the very language itself creates that conflict, that resistance to much like a person would in a regular fight fight. And what I've noticed that you've been doing more lately is, well, you've always been really good at this, but I think you've sort of reached another plateau is how you've been using language, even in a metaphoric way, because even in this conversation, you've used metaphor many times, but I've noticed that you do this very well. And I think that being able to speak in metaphor helps people learn the concept because yeah. it seems to come at it from a different perspective and light bulbs start to yeah. go off. And I guess I'm wondering whether you have any other thoughts on that or whether this is an intention or is this just sort of how you like to communicate? I've grown to this form of communication, I believe. Uh, I've always enjoyed language, but I 
I think working with children with special needs, you know, my wife's background, working with kids, adults, all these different learning styles, modalities, intellects, anywhere from like yourself, super genius, on down to someone that struggles with two plus two. The thing I found that everyone has in common is they can visualize. And if I can use my language and give you taste, a sense, if you can smell it, if you can feel it with my words, then it helps you understand or encapsulate it. If I can wrap meaning around it with something you can associate with, it makes the understanding that much clearer and easier to process, ingest, and make it part of your own. So that's been over the years developing it, and I don't do it consciously. I think, again, that's part of that intuitive part. Let them see what you're seeing. Let them feel what you're feeling. And the language was, uh, I've always been fascinated with words, uh, the technique of language, the technique of communication. So that does come out that way, I think. Well, I think the difference is communicating some information Mm -hmm. versus, in a sense, allowing the brain to create an image or a story. And it, yes. it fires up different parts of the brain when a metaphor is spoken because now they see a picture or they feel something as a There's result of that. There's layers yeah. to it, yeah. I was talking yeah. to an artist, Doug Deal, who actually is my brother-in-law, and we were talking about how he paints from a perspective of how he felt when he saw the Grand Canyon and what he's trying to translate feeling into paint. Well, that's got to be tough, but he does it extremely well. But it's metaphor, yeah. paint a metaphor, right? Yeah. I, I think that's what you're trying to do is create metaphor. And the reason why I call that out for those who are participating, listening to this is I think that the ability to create story, to create metaphor is a very strong and important tool to be able to help people shift perceptions. And when we shift perceptions, we shift behavior. That's my sense. Of like, yeah, no, I like that connection out there. Yeah. Another thought I wanted to run by you, Scott, is that, and I've been the recipient of this on numerous occasions. <laughs> We've had friends of ours talk about this too. Like when we're learning a technique. And and those of you who don't have a background in karate, it really is a very structured dozens and dozens of techniques and katas. And it is at times an intellectual overwhelm. There's just so much to kind of keep in your head. And then at some point you need to let it go and let your body take over. So there's this mental shift that has to happen. We're we're no longer in the analytical. Yeah. Now we got to go into the intuitive side, the more right brain side where we're not thinking about it. We're just doing it. Your wife, Julie, does this extremely well. She's got such great muscle memory. You do this extremely well. And I've heard you say, just get out of your head, you know, just get out of your head so many times. I wonder if you could speak to that because this duality of the structure, we need to know the technique. We need to know what five swords are like or whatever technique it is. This is how you do it to helping people get away from the structure to just the knowing. How do you articulate how you do that? I think it's very important because it's, it's something that we yeah. do in business all the time. We know something, we got to make sure that we don't forget that, but how do we get from that place of analytical knowing to intuitive knowing. And you deal with it all the time. Yeah. I think uh, you can kind of equate it to college. You go to college and college is designed to build all the structure so you have the tools or the techniques as you put it here in Kempo. And Kempo, everything's structured. You do an attack, based on that attack, these are the appropriate responses, responses that would happen. And each one sequence based on your body reactions or probability. In college, I think it's the same thing there. Uh, I went through college, got a language degree, ready to kick ass in the world, and then <laughs> I wasn't equipped for that. It wasn't until I was in the classroom, and I had all this structure and knowledge, but you throw 45 kids in front of you and you've never taught a class before in high school, it's a whole different thing. And you're, you're dealing with, again, the personalities. So there's that, I still had the structure to draw from, but then I had to start learning how the structure works for the individuals. You had the class settings, they got an overall plan, and then you got the individual plan. Each student needed their own pieces. And how do you build that. Again, it's a process. It doesn't happen immediately. The intuitive thing we do here at the studio, I would build them up there, but it's getting them off the techniques or breaking them out of just the sequential part and then having to start to find 
their own voice out there, what they're seeing, positional recognition. Let's say that would be the same in business. You know, you built all that structure for college, all these dynamics and they throw in the job. And then you got to start going positional recognition. What is happening? What's coming? What's the, the prompt coming in here that I'm responding to? The needs coming in. You know, how do we migrate with all the structure? Because that structure reads some things. But then you know, if you start compounding and making layers on it, you got to intuitively start putting those pieces together. That comes with knowledge, experience, and those aspects, but you're taking that initial structured piece and you layer in your experience, and the ones that do it the best are the ones that I think really rise to the top. You know, the ones that part intuition, part super ability to bring all this information together. The same thing works in my studio. You know, there's certain things physically people can do and that's kind of their their physical cap i can teach them the parts but then there's a cap on each person on what they can do some ceilings are higher some have a different intellect their ability to migrate or integrate information and move into it totally different you know some need just they're more of the structured person so again mm-hmm. that was my job because i work with so many different types and that's one of the blessings I get is that I've got the ones that can just do it in a heartbeat. I got other ones that struggle and struggle and struggle. And those are the ones that are like, okay, this metaphor will work, that metaphor will work. How do I teach them? How do I calm my emotions down? Because I could be frustrated. And that, that has grown too. I'm feeling their frustration, which is making me frustrated. Okay, understanding that piece. How do I get them on different sequence? How do I acknowledge they had a breakthrough? There you had it. You had your first intuitive piece. And then build on that. So yeah, I think it is based a lot on the individual. But again, I'd go back to its college is your structure. The business world is that next component out there. And then being able to work with those together. Still, you're not abandoning the structure, but you understand how to utilize your structure. So the thing that you said in that, I wanted to call out, Scott. Okay. This individual approach that you have towards your students. And one of the things that you do very well that I think anybody who is a leader needs to do well is to take people where they're at. And I've seen you teach six-year-olds and I've seen you teach 60-year-olds who need hip replacements. And everybody feels special. Everybody feels heard. Everybody feels that they have their own individual relationship with you and development plan. And I'm wondering if you could speak to that a little bit, because I think it's an important part of what leaders need to do today is to really take people where they're at. Oh, that's a good one, too. Good observation skills there, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Again, well thought out question. I think for me, and it's one thing I like to pass down through the studio to my kids, my family, is uh, being a good human being. And for me, being a good human being is how we treat humans how to bend an ear for them. And again, it's just part of that flow of being in the moment with each and every person. It is tough. Realizing too, as the way I do it, and it's more on the intuitive thing, is being in the moment. It doesn't have to be an hour in their moment. You don't have to spend the entire week with them. You can do these things in three seconds, a greeting, eye contact, a little tap on the shoulder, human contact, a smile, opening a door, simple question like how was your day but looking them in the eye and seeing and taking just to be a hero response not just arbitrarily say how are you close the door and you're off to your next thing out there take a moment just to say hi to people but look them in the eye really recognize that they're here with you that's one of the things i think the studio has provided for me throughout my life i've been cultivating the skill as being in the moment with the people around me. I've had some great people around me. I surround myself with those. You being one of those, absolutely. And I watch the way you do it. Uh, Larry Tatum in the martial arts world. I look at the way he includes everyone. I watch his seminars. I don't need a skill set so much at this stage, uh, the physical ones. I look at the way he leads the world, the way he makes every single human being in his seminars feel just special. And it might only be that one second. It might be just, hey, we got a quick selfie. But during that period of time, that selfie, that greeting, that handshake, he's there with you. He's not across the room with somebody else. And I do the same thing. I look to be in those moments with you. If you got a question on the mat, I'm still surveying constantly. But in the middle of that survey, I can drop my eye and actually be there with you. And that's part of that flow, you know. Here's a wave coming in. I kind of stick my fingers in the water. I'm aware of my fingers in the water. Where the chill, getting the balance of my body, setting the board where I need it. I'm going to be standing up on the board soon. 
I'm still aware of the water though, you know, the way it comes behind me. So those are the things, you know, that this intuitive piece allows you when you're in the flow to consciously be aware of all these things. And those parts help you also when you're, you're with human beings. Yeah. Take those moments. So it's a great point. And you do that very, very well. I mean, you connect with people extraordinarily well. You know, the other thing that I think you do that I think others could also be reminded of is that you create direction. The studio is set up that way, of course, because of karate having different belts and different things to learn. And there's always a goal. There's always something to strive for that's going to push you beyond your current belief systems in yourself. I remember when you and I sat down and I said, Scott, I want to be a black belt by the time I'm 50. And I think I got it by the time I was 49 or something or 48. I don't know what it was. It's this context for something that is going to require a different person to show up in order for that particular goal to happen. And I think that's another component that makes what you do and what makes your studio so successful is without that, without that goal, without that larger context, there would be a certain amount of energy lost. And it's because people have those goals and because they are challenging, because they might even evoke a little bit of concern as to whether or not they could actually do it, is part of the focus that moves all of this forward. And I think that's a great lesson for others to take out is that if we don't have those kind of larger goals that will require a different person to show up in order to make it happen, then we sort of flip into or slide back into some sort of mediocrity. We can allow our excuses to take over and the complaints and, you know, the aches and pains. And I think I want to go back to bed and not go to the studio on a Saturday. You know, all those things that start just showing up. But I think that's an obvious thing in karate, but I think it's important to call out how important that is in terms of your success, the success of your students, and I think the success of people who are in business as well. What do you think? <laughs> you got one of my core whys. I think you'd ask me once, <laughs> yeah. what are your whys? For my adults, I go, the why is not so much a why, but when, when are you going to find something different when are you going to find a recognition of development with businesses what I've seen and this I look at kind of my more for adults right it does happen across the board of the kids too but I'll address the adults for this one here the adults will come in here and they'll watch their kids and they recognize achievement they look at them why is it so hard why is my kid picking this up oh my kid's doing great look at that he's got his yellow he's got his orange butt and the parents sit over here on the booties and they watch the phones which makes me nuts I look at my studio, again, part of that human engagement is get over here and sit with the parents, teach them, show them what I'd like them to do, give them little flavors of what their kids are doing, and challenge them. One of the things I think that Tempo does for adults, it gets them out of the chair, and you look up on the board, you got defined goals, which you just alluded to very concisely about it, too. There's defined goal that you'll know in three months, I'm going to put you up here before a peer and panel, and you're going to test those skills, and you're going to be that much better in three months. And then another four months after that, you're going to have an orange belt. If you do these things and you work like I'm going to ask you to work and I'm going to challenge you, you're going to be decidedly better in six months than the person sitting in that seat. Decidedly better. You give me a year with you, the transformational growth that will happen, both mentally, physically, confidence, you name it, they're all incorporated with it. It's exponential. And I think the challenge of jobs a lot is what shows you're better. I got a promotion, so I got a little bit more money, a little bit more responsibility. But you don't have as defined a challenge. When I was a high school teacher, there was no, there was the daily grind, the daily challenge. I don't want to call it grind because I absolutely loved it. The grind was grading thousand papers, poorly written papers. That's on the side now. <laughs> but the, I didn't have a sense of growth going through there. I didn't have measurable growth each and every time. I got better as a teacher, but it's kind of incrementally. But there's nothing really to acknowledge it outside. Okay, you got to pump $1,000 extra a year. Break it down, you got an extra 100 a month. Break that down, 25 a week. What do you do with 25 a week? A simple, easy meal. That's about it. I think also in the, the business world, too, you have the same thing there. And I have so many adults in there. I go, when's the last time you were up here and just challenged? And you knew you were better than you were three months before. I go, the gym's different. It just, you lift weights, but you don't have that. I'm going to have a test at the end of this thing. Something that measures growth, a coming of age. When we're older, we lose that coming of age challenge. 
and we kind of become, I don't want to use the word sedentary, man, it's not for everyone, but sedentary in your position in life. You kind of have reached it, and then you, you know, what shows that you're that much better. I can tell you after doing this art for 29 years, I'm decidedly better this year than I was last year, hmm. and exponentially different than five years ago both with understanding, skill sets, the intuitive piece where, as we're addressing that, is exponentially different. And this is 29 years of doing this. My growth against measured a little differently going through there. You know, how I do this, how I work with others now. That's one of the, the places where I talk with my adults here. What is your gift? You know, when you have an immediacy, where you also have growth, personal growth for yourself. There's no kids latched on to you. There's no phone calls. There's no work. It's just personal growth. If you're doing that for work and the translation for work, I would say, how would you have an immediacy where they enjoy the work? Not the pressure and the grind of work, but the enjoyment of that work where they're going to show this growth in a three-month period, a six-month. What's your longitudinal plan for these guys? So... That's awesome. That's great. Well, I wrote down some things that you said here, and I want to sort of repeat them off. And I want to add a seventh one that I got six so far, and I've got a seventh one that I think is important. And again, I think all of these things are transferable. One is to be yeah. present, really get in the present moment. There's so much detail, there's so much power and so much energy that happens in the present. You said you were talking number two about, and I kind of called it out a little bit, it's taking people where they're at, not where you'd want them yeah. to be, but start each individual at their own level and move from there. And boy, in business, that's a skill that I think would be great to adapt to because we do sometimes all put people in the same category and we're not. We are all coming at this from different perspectives and different levels of ability. Number three was this idea of transitioning and helping people transition from the structure to the intuitive, the technique to getting out of your head, to the process of analytical thinking to now let it go and let the flow happen. And I think that's a great thing that you pointed out. Number four was around that personal relationship. You mentioned how people come into your studio, you connect with them, you look them in the eye, you develop these friendships, relationships. And again, that's one of the testaments to your school there. Number five called out earlier was around don't be in the fight. You know, that doesn't mean you don't have boundaries. In fact, you do, but you don't necessarily have to add to the negative energy by pushing back. You're actually much more effective when you don't. And then recently, you just talked about creating direction, but also having that challenge, which certainly karate has that in spades because of the belts and the progression. But that's something that's really missing in business a lot is really that challenge that's passionate based and that will help transform the individual, not just my daily weekly goals, but something that really people feel passionate about. I think the other thing that I wanted to add that you really didn't address, but I think it's important and I don't say that it's something that we can do in a nine to five job, but it's the physical aspect of what you do. It's the fact that people's bodies are involved and that there's so much stored emotional baggage, subconscious baggage. There's so many things that the body has begun to become the downstream effect of so many upstream issues that what you're doing is you're breaking that cartilage, you're breaking that pattern of movement and emotion that had created the movement in the first place. And by working with people's bodies, it opens up neural pathways and energy flows that were before not there. And I think that's an important part of what happens with Kempo. And I think it's an important thing that all of us need to do, whether we do karate or not, is to move differently, you know, and to make sure that there is some sort of physical discipline in our life, because it will certainly make us healthier, but it also breaks the pattern that we sometimes get ourselves into and our body starts to take the brunt of that. What do you think? Yeah, I've had a lot of the ads. That's a good one, too. You've got some great takeaways from this. It's been rather a joy talking with you today. Have this discussion. Yeah, the physical aspect, especially, I think is there. One of the things I've seen with adults is if they got an injury, and I've worked with some people that are injured in high school, and they're in their 50s, and they still accommodate the injury, and they stopped using that part. Oh, they go, I can't do this anymore. And they slowly have sold their body away. 
to, I can't use that piece anymore, rather than finding ways to move around it, adapt. Uh, and that's one thing I do really well is the adaption to the body's part. Once we lose that confidence, the body had, everything else starts to deteriorate. Uh, your confidence in life deteriorates, I believe. I've seen that. I've seen it repeatedly. Thousands and thousands of students I've had the pleasure of working with, but I can see the ones that have restored themselves. We have a gentleman here that's gone through a hip surgery and knee surgery. Mm. That would have put him down or put a person down there. You could go, I got a knee surgery. I'm never going to walk right. I'm going to limp. I'm not going to dance. This gentleman walked into my studio on the cane because he, he felt the confidence he could do it. He had a hip replacement. Two weeks later, he came in with a cane. I'm like, how are you doing this? And he goes, it's part of the temple, but it, it's part of, you talked about me, don't concede to these injuries. You're going to use them. You're going to use these parts again. This is your life. But seeing him do that, it, it does. It fills you with joy. I've gone through personal injuries too. <laughs> I'm not going to concede. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm going to find a way and I'm going to work it and bring that back online there. And I think you really caught that because there's emotional parts, especially in the physical realm. You know, even at work, you got the physical ones where they feel uncertain. They got emotional aspects tied in with that. Adding on to your piece, I'd say trust and fear. If I don't trust you, I fear you. You know, one of those two things, what do I need to be worried about? And mm. it does, it goes, go back to those bodies out there. That's great. Well, Scott, this has been so much fun and I really appreciate your time on this. I just want to close off by saying what's coming up for you. This podcast may be up and running here, you know, in a couple of months, but, you know, given that time frame, is there anything that those who want to connect with you, how can they connect with you? What's the way they can do that if they happen to be in Phoenix or any international seminars that you might be doing that if they're interested, they might want to learn more about? Well, you can look me up on Facebook under Scott Gonzalez. My studio is Desert Dragons Kempo Karate. We've got a Facebook page. We have a website, desertdragonsaz.com. Message me. Our phone here is 623-670-7979. I am going out to England next month out there. I believe I'm going to do a seminar in Dublin and then one over in Exeter, England. And then we're off to a little Scotland to celebrate there. Uh, we have usually some seminars rolling through as well. Or if you just wanted to continue training or start your training, you know, the studio is always available there. That's great. And I would definitely recommend it to anybody just from my perspective. And again, thanks so much for your time. This has just been a lot of fun. Thank you, sir. It's a delight. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Business of Intuition. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about Dean or Mission Facilitators Leadership, go to mfileadership.com. That's mfileadership.com.